It's Tuesday, May 26th. We've reached the end of 2 Peter chapter 2. So drop down to the end of this chapter and we'll catch the last part of what we have been dealing with in terms of the false teachers. We've been talking about the false teachers and the comparisons that we've made throughout this chapter. We have talked about, very importantly here, about in verse number 20, if you look at this, about being entangled again. They're again entangled in these sins. Verse number 21 Uh, Better if they would not have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it, having turned back. So these ideas of turning back and going back, this pattern of being visibly in the externals of your life, looking like you are escaping from the world and now you're returning to it in the practices of your life, even though you're teaching and influencing Christians in the church. Um, So we end with this statement here in verse 22, the end of the chapter. It says in verse 22, what? What the true proverb says has happened to them. Really, it's two proverbs here. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after after washing herself, returns to wallowing in the mire. So the idea here is going back, right? Going back into something that is bad, right? In this case, uh, eating your own vomit and washing in what you would, uh, after washing, going back to getting yourself uh, dirty in the mud. That's the picture. So let's look at this in terms of what it says about the quotations of uh, extra biblical and biblical statements throughout the Bible. And I just want to start with this first section here. The true proverb says, of course, it's true because it is about to be applied to the people here in the passage. It's happened to them. But the first section here, the dog returns to its own vomit, is a proverb in the Old Testament. At least the idea is there in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11. Like a dog returns to his vomit, so is a fool in repeating his folly, right? That's like a fool. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly, going back to doing the same thing again and again. So that is a proverb. It's Proverbs 26, verse 11. But, um, and I guess, oh yeah, wanted to add this. A proverb, what a proverb is. Um, a proverb is a generally true, it's a statement about general truths and it's stated in a way that is generally true and most generally true. Uh, and I just want to give some examples to that because we're dealing with proverbs and we use the word proverb all the time in our biblical studies. But it says in verse number four, the reward, the reward for humility, okay, a humble person, and the fear of the Lord, right, godly person, is riches and honor and life. And that's certainly uh, generally true, right? You do things the right way, pleases God. The response to that often is God's blessing in your life, and that is generally true. Not always true. The book of Job was written as a description of the exact opposite of that. Here's something all these terrible things that happened to, at least in the intermediate term. So it's a proverb. It's generally true. Or verse number five. I'm just, I just jumped in really almost randomly into the book of Proverbs looking for examples of this. Thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. Well, sometimes you have thorns and snares in the life that we're living. There are exceptions to that. Or the most classic here that was most painful domestically, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Well, that's generally true. If you work hard at doing what the Bible says in terms of training up that child in the direction he should go, like a young uh, sapling, you put those those stakes up to guide that growth, and usually that is the result, but it's not always the case. Or verse 7, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. And that's generally true. The rich 
generally does rule over the poor and those who are indebted and encumbered, they're, they're you know, enslaved to the lender. That's not always the case though. There's a lot of people uh, doing all kinds of deals with money and it's not because they are in any way conscripted or enslaved or not even that they don't have the money. Uh, it's that they're utilizing it for whatever the reason might be. Uh, and it's not always true that the rich rules over the poor. Sometimes as Ecclesiastes say, the poor rule over the rich and the uh, foolish rule over the wise. So there are exceptions to all this. And all I just want to say is when we're dealing with something like a proverb, we just need to keep that in mind as we're reading the Proverbs or even seeing a proverb quoted here. All right. The true proverb, right? And we talked about this coming from Proverbs, but it says this, the sow after washing herself returns to wallowing in the mire. Well, um, this is not a biblical proverb. And uh, there are a lot of suggestions as to where this came, a 5th century BC ancient Near Eastern work in Aramaic or a uh, Greek uh, text. And there are certainly parallels to this because it's very common observation about the pigs that are washing or at least being cleaned for a moment or being hosed off or whatever we might imagine in our day and then going back to lie down in the mud. That is so common. It was certainly written about um, and we've got examples of it and commentators try to guess where that came from. But what we know it didn't come from is the Hebrew scriptures and the Hebrew, Hebrew Proverbs, which brings up at least the fact that we are having a quotation that should be understood as not putting whatever the source is on par with the scripture. And we see that as an example uh, in a lot of false teaching, people trying to say that whatever the Bible quotes, that must be an endorsement of that source as inspired or on par with the canon of scripture or the rest of the Bible. That's just not the case. I'll give you some examples. Acts chapter 17, here is the uh, apostle Paul who's preaching there in Athens. And he talks about them seeking God. Perhaps they'll feel their way toward him and find him. He's actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said. And he quotes a very famous Greek poet here, for indeed we are his offspring. Being then the God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine beings are like gold or silver or stone or the images that he's there denouncing and saying you're idolaters, we need to go to the true God. And the idea of this statement, then God's offspring, like, well, we're getting the authority from this passage. Well, that's not the case. Uh, we are seeing that the authority of the truth that is stated throughout the Bible, clearly this is the teaching of the Old Testament revealed by God, is often reflected, the common grace of a lot of writers. So we see that outside of Scripture, and God is not endorsing a uh, Greco-Roman philosopher simply because he's being quoted. Uh, Titus, a great example here, uh, talking about the Cretans, those who lived on the island of Crete that Titus was pastoring, and Paul writes, and he says, uh, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, right? He's not a true prophet, but he's one who's speaking there uh, for their gods. And he says, Cretans are always liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true, right? That's a true statement. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may sound, be sound in the faith. Quoting a Cre Cretan prophet, uh, which probably was filled with all kinds of uh, non-biblical, anti-biblical, uh, you know, non-godly statements, false statements, uh, doesn't mean that he's giving credence for us, pardon that uh, sound like pun there, uh, to the Cretan prophets. It's not as though he's trying to endorse them. Uh, he's just simply saying their testimony is true. Uh, quoting a source outside of the Bible throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament does not 
make those sources uh, scriptural or authoritative any more than a pastor gets up preaching a sermon quoting a person whether it's Patton or Washington or you know who knows could be they quote Dawkins in a sermon uh, it doesn't mean that there is some endorsement that this person there is a Christian or all that they say is accurate these are enlisted statements and we see that often and the ones that usually get the most attention are quotes like this from this parallel uh, chapter here in Jude about these, it says, and it was also about these that Enoch, seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, and then he quotes that the Lord's going to come with ten thousands of his holy ones and execute judgment and convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds, and on it goes. And so people are very interested then in, in the book of Enoch. Well, it's an interesting book, and as um, I've read it and and have studied the, the book of Enoch, and I think we even brought this up at some point in our study. Perhaps we didn't, but. Um, the book of Enoch, right, does not mean now that we are to see say this is a uh, canonical pass, a canonical book, a book that has the authority of God-breathed scripture simply because it's quoted. Maybe we'll do more on Enoch another time. Uh, on books like this, have also we've had, though Enoch is a book obviously not written by Enoch, we can say more about that another time, or the book of Jashar, right, is another book that they have written, um, the uh, book of Enoch preceded, but I think this reference in the book of 2 Samuel, the book of Jashor, this is the kind of book that later on people said, well, this is stated in the scripture, it's referenced in the scripture, so they create one because there is no extant or existing copy of whatever this book was. And so we have a lot of literature out there, more than one, claiming to be the book of Jashar, and it goes on to quote something. And again, it is something that they're saying should be taught to the people of Israel. At least this statement, uh, he said it should be, and this is the, the contextual reference here. Um, it is written in the book of Joshua. So examples uh, abound, uh, the book of the wars of the Lord. I mean, there's actually, I don't know, seven or eight of them in Scripture. All right, it has happened to them. This is the whole point of our context here. The, this proverb of going back, this returning uh, and going back to return to while in the mire, this is the apostasy that is spoken of even in the previous verse, verse 21. 2 Peter 2, 21, would it better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back, to return uh, away from, to fall away from, to apostatize from the holy commandment delivered to them. Uh, and there's lots of examples of this in Scripture, the people in particular. I think of 2 Timothy chapter 4 when he says to Timothy, Paul does, uh, do your best to come to me for Demas, here's an example, in love with this present world. Well, all of us were in love with the world uh, before we aligned ourselves with the people of God. And in this case, that's what Demas did, but he has deserted and gone to Thessalonica, apparently in search of the worldly pleasures or the worldly accolades or whatever it was he wasn't getting as a companion and a traveling missionary with the Apostle Paul. It's all like Judas. He might have taken a sacrificial hit coming from his life, whatever that was, to associate with Christ, uh, but he ends up wanting to go back to what he had before, which was the financial gain that he was seeking in Christ but didn't get. Um, and he ended up having to um, steal from the uh, treasury of the apostles and also obviously to turn Christ in for 30 pieces of silver. All right, let's talk about this word here, the dog. Now, I pulled this out of the Orange County Register here, a picture of your Fido dressed up with your little bag. And I know we love dogs in our culture, uh, but don't picture this. This is not what you ought to be picturing because that's not how they were viewed in biblical times, right? I mean, you should picture some gross animal that you despise because that was the animal uh, of the dog, the canine in the Old Testament. Proverbs 23, 18, you shall not bring the fee of a prostitute or the wages of a dog into the house of the Lord your God. Now, this is 
an example of something. Some people think it's the uh, male cult prostitutes, but whatever it is, it's clearly an example here and used in a disparaging way to represent something that is, as it says here, an abomination to God. Or even Jesus uses those words, do not give to dogs what is holy. The idea, again, is a disparaging word. Or Paul says, look out for the dogs, Philippians 3, 2. And uh, I'm sorry, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers. There's the comparison. And even in the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, verse 15, speaking of outside the New Jerusalem, those who are not granted entrance into it, they're, they're the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral, and on it goes. So uh, this is an unclean animal that is despised in the culture, used as the subject of returning back to something which is gross when you see this, right, which I'm sure everyone has, a dog lapping up his own vomit. That's the picture of an unclean person going back to unclean things. And this, again, is a reminder that we're talking about unconverted people who, for some reason, fiend a spirituality, who have a false sense of piety, all for their own gain. Um, same thing with the pig, uh, the sow. Um, I know that we you know, make movies like this. We, these, I mean, it's even popular to have a little pot-bellied pig as a pet. Not in my world, but uh, I mean, the, the, our culture certainly uh, made everything that can be made cute. They've tried to make it cute. Uh, but don't picture uh, Babe, the movie. I don't know. I didn't see it, but uh, there it is. Uh, you need to think in terms of biblical categories when you see uh, a reference to a pig. Leviticus 11.7, the pig, because it's parts of the hoof and and is cloven-footed. It does not chew the cut. It is unclean. It was an unclean animal, just like the dog. Uh, scavenger was the dog. Pig was, even though it was herded in and 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 utilized in um, food in lots of places in the ancient world. It wasn't in um, Israel because it was deemed unclean by God. This was not a permanent valuation of an animal or its food. It was a ceremonial and temporary designation of food that was to not be eaten for a lot of different reasons, perhaps as secondary issues, but the primary issue was to separate them from the social intercourse around the banqueting that took place and to give them a special diet that would give them pause whenever they went to be uh, you know, in a social context. That was the point. Ultimately, it was a command by God, regardless of what the rationale was, don't do this until, of course, he declares all foods clean as he inaugurates the uh, new covenant age in the New Testament. Or as it says here, I already quoted this, don't give to the dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs. That's the picture again of an unclean animal, the pig, the sow, and going back into something unclean, which again reminds us the dog, the pig, these are, these are designations and references to who the people are. They're unchanged in their heart. They come and associate with the church. They teach the wrong things because they're in it for themselves. And that is the picture throughout um, 2 Peter chapter 2. And I do hope that is helpful as we think about the vivid illustration here and some things we gain as we think through the quotations of uh, biblical and extra biblical proverbs, and in this case, what they represent. And there are people among us, like the wheat and the tares, who have an association visibly with the church, but end up being those who go back to loving the things they loved before and utilizing Christianity often to take others with them. So uh, that's the end of chapter two. Chapter three begins next, and I hope we'll have some time as things develop here in our schedule um, to continue studying in Second Peter as long as we can. We'll see how that goes. We'll be back, Lord willing, tomorrow with Second Peter chapter three, verse one. 